Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 church in a war-torn nation and then an interesting take on the importance of a man's beard how young people are refusing to commune with those of opposite political beliefs and later biblical reasons for fasting you're listening to the common good Friends, happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Common Good here on happy AM Tuesday. 1160. It is Tuesday. Tuesday has no nickname. It's just Tuesday. Just so. Tuesday. Glad that you're with us all today. My name is Brian Fromm, joined as always every day from four until six with uh, by my co-host, Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey, how That's are you me. today? I am doing grand. Uh, my, I got my kids to organize their bedroom this afternoon, <laughs> and I felt like that was like a win of parenting win. today. Yeah. Is that gold only stars the two- in, gold jewels in my crown? There, is that only the two who are not in school, or did you make the one who's also already in school have no, to do no, his no. room? No, 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 just the ones who aren't in school. Because I think I was lamenting yesterday. Like I literally, there is nothing for them to do. And yesterday, I walked in their room just to say good night to them, and like their closet was overflowing with just like laundry and like stuffed animals. And then I was like kind of span scanning their room, and I'm like this place is a hole. So, yes, it is. so this afternoon are. we worked very hard and now it's beautiful. It probably won't last through the evening, but at nope. least I feel a sense of accomplishment. What is, this is total tangent right off the bat, but what is your family's uh, kind of mode of operation when it comes to uh, bath towels, shower towels? Oh, because I grew up like question. you use one for like a couple days <laughs> And my kids, yeah. I, f- I swear my kids use three a day no, and they all I- end up on the floor and it drives me up a wall. Yeah, no, it drives me crazy too. They do, they get a new one all the time. And I'm like, you can at least use them two times. Like I do mm-hmm. think towels get kind of gross after the second use. And so I'm like, just, you know, put it in the laundry room, but they don't put it in the laundry. They throw it on the ground. I'll walk in there and I'll be, I'll like open where our towels are, the closet, the linen yeah. closet. And there's no towels. And I'm like, where are all the towels? Oh, they're on the floor of the boys' bathroom. So all kids they, are the same. Yes, yes. All kids are the same. It is like, it's, it's, uh, it's annoying. Back in my day, we used to use the same towel for an entire semester of college. I, okay, this this reminds me. I had a friend in high school with a super weird strict family, okay? And she would have us, uh, you know, like just sleepovers. And yep. I didn't like having sleepovers at her house. Here's why. Her parents made us all share one towel. And oh. like, they were like... I mean, I hope this is not too gauche to say, like, they were rich people in a fancy neighborhood in North Oklahoma City. Like, they had lots of towels, and they were fine (laughs) paying their laundry, their water bill. But for whatever reason, that was like an area of control for them. You were only allowed to use one towel. So there'd be a sleepover, like three of us. Oh, that's and we awesome. Had, and I was like, this is weird. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> so what I thought you were going to say is when I'll never forget a sleepover when I was in like the third or fourth grade and slept over this kid's house and his parents 
like made us before bed take showers. And I was like, what? I'm sleeping over your house. Like part of the sleepover is I don't need to shower. Yeah, and like, I'll I don't, never forget being like, I don't shower at your house. <laughs> I have to take a shower. Like no, this that's is weird. weird. And that's I never weird. slept over that kid's house again. Yeah, See, strange, people have so. weird rules around their bathroom, I guess. So it's good to know your boys, my children, same kids. Just uh, the, disgusting, basically. The place where shower towels go to die is really what that is. So. <laughs> kids' bathrooms, that's right. Yes, yes. Well, we're glad that you're with us today. If you've missed any of our show la- yesterday, the rest of this week, you can find us online at 1160hope.com. You can also get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. We ask that you subscribe, rate, review. That really does help us out a lot. Aubrey, I was over at the Gospel Coalition. Were you? Uh, at- yeah, their website. No, they gotcha. do not have a building. Gotcha. Uh, it says this church in the trenches, six months of wartime ministry oh, in Ukraine. Wow. You and I circle back to this. We'll touch on some of the things this article comes back to. I completely forget that there's a war going on in the Ukraine. Uh, and it's now been six months. And it feels like when it happened six months ago, it was all that we talked about. Yeah. It was all that you saw yeah. for good reason. It's completely natural for it to kind of go out of sight, out of mind. But I don't know. It's weird the way our minds work and things just we just kind of move on. It's been six whole months since Russia invaded the Ukraine. I was shocked by that, Brian. And then I feel a sense of guilt that I wasn't aware of that. And I'll be very honest, like the past couple of days there, Ukraine has been in the headline because of some attacks with Russia because they're in war with Russia. And Mm -hmm. I've just sort of skimmed through that, like, oh, okay, you know. And then I was like, I saw this six months, and I felt a little bit convicted about my own prayer life for the Ukraine, for the end of this war. And like, so it's good to remember. I know we can't live in a constant state of fear and panic, but it is good to remember at least to be praying and be aware of what's going on. At the Gospel Coalition, they interview this pastor by the name of Sergei Nakul, uh, and he's a pastor in Kiev. Think about this, Aubrey, how you and I and other pastors in America, we think about fluctuating numbers, and we freak out when people aren't at church. He says, yeah. it says this, the pastor adjusted to the fluctuating numbers as some members of his congregation evacuated the country and I'm, others were called to military service. I mean, you just want to like stand up and take your hat off and like tip it to this guy because this is a real pastor like like the things that i complain about as a church leader or the things that people in my church complain about i'm like you guys no 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 people are evacuating the country people are being killed and these pastors are faithfully serving their churches they are to be commended Yeah, and so this interview goes on, and listen to this phrase, because I think this gets us to what do we do with our remembrances, right? And it says, uh, one of the people in the Ukraine who's doing ministry, some radio ministry, online prayer meetings and such, said this, your prayers are helping me to not be so afraid. Mm. They are giving my heart peace. So he says- Uh, not, you know, I'm sure this isn't, he would like emails or whatever. He's not saying your words of encouragement, your emails. He's saying your prayers give me peace. They give me the ability to keep going. Wow. Uh, If that doesn't tell you 
that we need to be praying and that prayer works and matters. I don't know what else would. Well, that's what I was just thinking. Like what a powerful witness it is that he's saying he's actually like feeling fueled by the prayers of believers around the world. And I think sometimes we can, you know, in, in our own, like nothing compared to what he's going through, but in our own lives, I think everyone's all, you can sense like, oh, somebody must be praying for me about mm-hmm. this because I'm feeling some resolve and strength that is not natural to me. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for the power of prayer. And to imagine that on this scale is, is incredible. And I think you're right, is a reminder and kind of convicting, like, let's get on our knees and be praying right. for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. Like, and again, we don't need, we need not feel guilty about this because it's yeah. just natural. But I would guess in the week, two weeks, three weeks following six months ago when all of the war in Ukraine started, every church in America probably stopped and prayed. Yeah. Right. We like, yeah. we were doing, and that, that's important. How important would it be this week if churches said, you know what, we're going to pause. Six months has gone by. Let us pray. And then here's yeah. the last quote I wanted to read to you from this pastor okay. who is in the middle of it all. He said this. The churches are rising from the ashes of destruction. Mm. The churches, this is uh, kind of what we see in the New Testament, right? Mm. The church uh, persevering and thriving in a weird way in the midst of great Mm. struggle. Wow. Uh, What a testimony, right? Oh, I mean, that like brings tears to your eyes, right? Like that the church is... The church is still going strong. And, you know, you hate to say this because it's so terrible, but in some ways, this is when the church is at her best. Like in the midst of suffering, you do see the resolve, the strength, the power of the presence of God and the power of just Jesus's, uh, you know, presence in the midst of a church. And so that's, yeah, that's very encouraging and really powerful. There you go. So let's be on our knees. Let's be praying. But also let's just remember, let's remember what is going on on the other side of the world. Aubrey, when you were younger, favorite Christian bands, favorite Christian artists, top one or two, go. Oh, 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 this is always so hard for me. Remember, because I didn't listen to a lot of Christian music. I I liked, um, this is a little older, much older. I liked Reliant K, like Mm. kind of that like poppy punk Christian music. And um, I liked uh, a band I think we're actually going to talk about here, uh, DC Talk, who I did see yes. in concert. Yeah. Yes, you did. Yes, what about DC you? Talk. Who were your faves? Uh, I, I was a big uh, – when I was like in middle school, you couldn't go wrong with the Newsboys. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, which, you know, and then you realize like, oh, they just keep turning everybody over, but they're still the Newsboys. So oh, interesting. Like so you mean they have like lots of new band members, but like they keep – the, yes. Under the same brand, interesting. Yes, they keep doing that. Interesting. Uh, I was a fan of Petra back in the day. Wow, like, that was cool. Okay, uh, a little bit as we got a little bit older, and Jars of Clay came on. Oh the yeah, scene. they were kind of cool. Like like, weren't they the ones that like sort of crossed over and had like a yeah. like a pop hit too? Yes. Was yes. Petra? I I never listened to Petra. Were they a heavy metal Christian no. band? Oh no. oh, Very for poppy. some reason I had that in my mind. Okay. No. Uh, and then. When I when when my wife and I were dating and then married, she still mocks me to this day, but I will hold on to it. Uh, I I went through a Michael Card stage. Michael Card. Oh, you know, he has a great book on lament called A Sacred Sorrow. That's he really, is, really good. He, I don't think it was for that book, but he years ago was on the show with Ian and I to talk oh, about really? his most recent book. But Michael Card, it was I used to like to listen to Michael Card while studying. OK, like, I don't think I know one Michael Card song. 
Oh, it's you're if you listen to Michael Card, you would be very surprised that I went through a Michael Card stage <laughs> in college. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. But uh okay. yeah, yeah. If you're trying to psych yourself up for something, Michael Card's probably not the direction to go. Interesting. Okay. Uh, okay. But you are right. You referenced DC Talk, and uh their well known lead singer for many years was Toby Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh in twenty nineteen, <clears throat> Toby Mac. So he became Toby Mac left DC talk and was a solo artist for a long time. Yeah. And he's known for really upbeat, positive, almost Christian hip hop. Yeah. Like dance, dance tunes. <laughs> right. Well, in 2019 tragedy struck Toby Mac's family when his son Truett uh, passed away mm. and uh, his son died in 2019. And it says here in this article, he wasn't sure Toby Mac wasn't sure if he could write another album, if he I could write that. another wow. <clears throat> upbeat song. And he said days after the tragedy, he wrote 21 years, a tribute to a son. Weeks later, he and his daughter Marley wrote everything about you. Another song that looked back fondly on Truett's life. Mm. He wrote two more that alluded to the peace that God had brought him during the morning. None of them, though, had the up-tempo rhythm style that helped make him famous. Mm. He just said, one day I thought to myself, I guess I will write songs from my sadness for the rest of my life. Sure, there's no lack of faith in them, but I don't think I'll ever write another up-tempo song. It's just not in me anymore. Mm. And then I read a scripture that caught my attention. I never noticed before, and it spoke directly to my heart. It said, God is rolling up his sleeves. Hmm. The verse inspired him. I couldn't get the imagery out of my mind, and it began to take root uh, into his soul. And he starts to talk about how a lot of his songs just sound different now. Wow. Uh, They're, um, you know, his newest album, Life After Death, releases this Friday with the uh, aforementioned songs and several others that will likely will become upbeat hits. And so he found kind of this in between. And I found this really interesting. Yeah. This, um, when tragedy strikes, how much it shakes up our lives and how much it changes things. And it got me thinking, there's got to be people out there going through it right now Mm. or who have gone through it in the past. And Toby Mac was almost apologetic at first going, I'm not sure I can write upbeat songs anymore. And now he's kind of landed in the middle. Yeah. I'm writing reflective, sad songs, but I'm also back to some of my upbeat style. I don't know. Jump off there wherever you want, because I found that to be really interesting and somewhat helpful. Yeah. I I mean, I actually think it's really healthy for us to see someone who's quote unquote famous in Christian, you know, the Christian music scene to be writing songs of lament. I mean, you know, I, I actually feel like that's been just missing in our evangelical church like music catalog for a very long time. And so I actually, I mean, I hate that he went through this. And so I'm not saying I wish suffering on him, but I'm so grateful that he didn't stop writing. And I actually think it's really, really biblical. I mean, we think about the writers of the Psalms who were bringing um, like the craft of songwriting to some of their deepest, darkest sufferings. And so in fact, this is, even though at one point he says, something like there's still faith in there. It's like, no, no, no. It's it's more than there's still faith in there. This is actually a very biblical thing to bring order to the chaos of your suffering through songwriting. And yeah. so I I commend him for this. And then I also think why it's going to be meaningful is like you said, so many people out there have been through tragedy. I mean, let's say 
two, the last two years alone. And so we are a, a hurting people, frankly. And so I think just to be able to have words, lyrics, music to put words to that is going to be healing and helpful for so many people. And then the fact that it sounds like in time he's been able to um, bring some of the joyful songs that he's used to or the upbeat songs that he's used to. I think to me it feels like this album is going to be like a whole almost grief arc, you know, a yeah. grief journey. And I, I just think that the best art is born of of pain and suffering like that. I know that sounds a little dark, but I really yeah. do. I think it's what connects with people. I think it what brings healing. And I think it's a beautiful thing that humanity is capable of in the midst of their pain and suffering is to create art that connects with other people from it. And let's talk about what you used a great phrase there, that, uh, that journey, that grief yeah. journey there. Yeah. Toby Mac is clearly opening the door here and you know, he's wanting you to buy his album and this and that, but yep. he's opening the, the door here to get a picture of his journey. And it's yep. been three and a half years now or mm -hmm. three years or so. Which is not that uh, long when you've lost a son, let's be honest. Yeah. I, and I'd love for you to speak about that journey because there might be people out there who feel guilty about, mm. man, why am I not over this yet? Or mm. or not over it, but why am I not back to normal? When in yeah. reality, you may never, there's just yeah. a new normal. So yeah. uh, you've written about this. Yeah. Speak about that grief journey for somebody out there who might be on it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is, is grief does change you. Like there's research that shows there's like PTSD that happens and your per your entire personality can change. I know people who have been through major trauma and they've gone from being extroverts to being introverts. They've mm. gone from being people who weren't anxious to being people who are anxiety ridden. So I just think have a lot of grace with yourself if that's you. If you're like, why can't I go back to who I was? You are changed now because of grief and God is not mm -hmm. surprised by that. And somehow there's an invitation in that, though I know that feels scary and that is part of the grief process. I think the other thing is to like, there is no timeline for grief. And I think this is such a lie that the enemy speaks over people who are hurting. I should feel better. I should be over it. I should be. No, 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 no. Like there are things about grief where you learn to carry it. You learn that your grief is held by God. Mm. You learn to move forward and like get up and, and make eggs and do dishes and things that felt impossible to you in the midst of your early stages of grief. But there is no timeline with which you need to get over this pain that you're carrying. Like it will feel different in time, but I mean, especially the loss of a child. Like I just, that is one of those things that until you meet Jesus face to face, I don't know that you'll find full and complete healing on this earth. Again, you'll find that God is holding you again. You'll find the strength yeah. in Christ to carry the grief, but you're not going to get over the grief and that's okay. Like allow God to use that to bring you closer to his presence, to meet you with his compassion and to show compassion to our other people who are hurting. But I, I do, I think it's such a lie that people need to be like over their pain in a certain time because grief just doesn't work that way. It's messy. Yeah. It's explosive. It comes back when we least expect it and that's okay. Yep. <clears throat> that's well put. And so grateful for Toby Mac kind of opening that door for us to see uh interested to see what his music does sound like now and how it is yeah different. me well, too i up. bet that album's gonna be great all right aubrey we've got a time machine oh and we like could it. go we could go back to like you could go back to 20 year old 21 year old aubrey oh, about man. to get out of college 
Uh, you know, you're about to get married, uh, all of this stuff to think of this another way. Think about you're talking to a friend who's that age. What would you tell them now that we're 45, (laughs) 44, looking back, what would you say to younger you or to somebody who's just entering the adult world who has all these dreams? Maybe for you, it's an aspiring author. Somebody Mm -hmm. says to you, yeah. Hey, I want to talk to you as an author who's kind of much uh-huh. further down the road. Uh-huh. Think about that for a second. Okay. I got thinking about this question when somebody posed it on Twitter to baseball Hall of Famer Derek Jeter, uh, former uh, shortstop for the New York Yankees, multiple time World Series yeah. champion. Somebody basically asked him, what would you say to younger you or okay. to younger ball players who are just entering? Listen to what he said. Learn to deal with failure. Because it's coming. Uh, I don't care how good you are, how good you think you are, you're going to fail. And there's going to be times when you feel like you're not going to get out of it. um, That's just part of it. So have a strong support group that you can go to and lean on, but uh, understand that failure is a part of it. So Derek Jeter says, of all the things he could share with them, it's you're going to fail. Baseball Mm. is known. Baseball is a game of failure, right? If you... If you succeed at at the plate three out of ten times, you might go to the Hall of Fame. Wow. Baseball is a game of failure. But this is interesting. He says, the thing I would tell you is you're going to fail. Get used to it. Yeah, that is interesting. Have a strong backbone. Surround yourself with people who will Uh pick you up. Uh Uh, I find that to be interesting. What would you say uh, to either 20-year-old yeah. Aubrey or a young aspiring author coming to you and saying, hey, give me some advice. Yeah, I, I think that concept of being comfortable with failure is really, really important. I know that um, Ed Catmull, the uh, Pixar a VP or creative director at Pixar, he talks about failing forward because how every time you fail – it's a growth opportunity. So like Ed Catmull talked about like, Hey, we we've made some movies that are hits and we've made some movies that are, you know, just don't do well, but even the ones that don't do well, we learn why they didn't and it makes the next one better. And so I, I think that concept for any young person, whether you're going into writing or sports or whatever career, just starting out your career, that concept of like, knowing like there will be mistakes you make, you will fail, you'll feel a little bit embarrassed about it, but those are actually opportunities for growth and to get better at your craft, I think is a really, really uh, important kind of posture to take. And then I, I think the other thing would be, and I think we talked about this uh, recently, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but this this kind of concept about um, doing and being like, like if they're on, if your life is a railroad track and one of the rails is being and the other is doing, like they need to be in alignment. You don't want your doing to become your identity. So you're writing your sports career, whatever, not to be your identity. You want like who you are to be just as important as what you're doing. And you want your doing to flow from who God is making you. So I, something about like, I, I don't even want to call that balance, but I think there's something really important about like, Tend to your inner life as much as you tend to all the things you want to yeah. accomplish. Yeah, those are good. I I, I think that, that idea of you're you're not a human doing, right? Ian, you sort of say this. Oh, you're a human yeah, being, right. It's good. Uh, is super helpful. I think an important thing I would have liked to have heard is 
you're not defined by what you ultimately accomplish. Like that's not going mm, to define you. That's, that's kind of the same concept of yeah. doing and being. Right. Uh, because I did a lot of things at a younger age trying to impress other people or make them think highly, right? Like, oh, mm. he does know what he's doing or yeah. this or that. Uh, so that's one. This one's going to sound really basic, but I would have, and, and I did this okay when I was younger, but I would tell people, have fun. Yeah. Like, is that funny? You kind of forget to think about that. Yeah. Like your twenties are not just a doorway to like the success mm. of your thirties or forties. Mm. Like the twenty, I loved my twenties. Yeah. Every aspect like yeah. of, of being married with no kids was awesome, but having yeah. little kids was fabulous. Like, yeah have fun and and don't be defined by that's so true like I, I wonder if along along that is like i feel like i need to hear some of this stuff now like now. don't take yourself too seriously i think mm -hmm. that's part of the having fun too like just enjoy yourself laugh at yourself enjoy if you're married your spouse or your best friends like hang with them a lot do a lot of laughing and a lot of enjoying because like i guess ultimately life is going to hit you with some hard stuff yeah, yeah, and you have to, you have to find ways to enjoy like the delight of it in the middle of it. And I think we do tend to take ourselves too seriously, especially at that age. Cause you feel you want to conquer the world. You want to make this big splash in life. And, you know, I, I think there is some wisdom to just like, enjoy it. It's okay. It'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, it'll be okay. Have some fun along the way. That's and good. I guess one more that I would add is there's this weird thing. Maybe you felt this. I, I at least felt this in my own life. There's this weird thing when you're in like your mid-20s mm -hmm. of like wanting to reject the help of older people. Wow, that's so true. When in fact, that is the exact time of your life that you need older people who've been down the road. Yeah. Like think about you as an author when you were – I'm sure at 25, you mm -hmm. knew you wanted to write. Oh, right? yeah. Like you, oh, yeah. Uh, that was the exact time of your life. And maybe you were humble enough to do this where you should be like, let me go find some authors who are like 50. And I did. I mean, I found a writing mentor who was in her 50s. Uh, her name's Shannon Etheridge. She's very, nice. you know, very well known for like every woman's battle series. And she helped me because I did not know what I was doing. And so without her influence, like, I don't think I'd be in publishing today. And That's so, great. Yeah, you're right. Oftentimes as pastors, what we will do is I know better. Mm -hmm. Those older people, they just knew they are only doing the Like, we're going to change how we do church. Yeah. We're going to revolutionize all this. And you're like, totally. Don't be a moron. You're surrounded by these people that you could just go take out to lunch and be like, hey, tell me how to write a sermon. It is funny you, you say someone. that because like Kevin and I actually joke about that. Like we remember being in our 20s with other 20-somethings and like almost like forming a coalition of like young people yes. at church. And we're going to like, we are, we're going to revolutionize the way church is done and we're going to make it more authentic or whatever the buzzword was at the time. And I'm sure the like 30s and 40 people were just like shaking their heads laughing at us yep. like, oh, if only they knew, if only you they knew. You want to know how we know that they were shaking their heads at us? Because that's what we're doing to people in their 20s now. <laughs> that's so true. We're it going, is. I get it. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, that's cute. That's You're cute. cute. Right? Yes. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was interesting to hear yeah. from a baseball Hall of Famer. It's good. His words back to people. Mm -hmm. It reminds us, don't be so arrogant not to listen to people who are older than you. Yeah. Uh, people who have something to teach you. I've got a little giggle in my voice because when we were off air, Brian was singing a song. I was. Can you tell the people what song you're singing and I'll tell them why? 
Yeah, I was singing Black Hole Sun by the Soundgarden, and it took us right back to high school by Soundgarden. Sorry. Uh, When everybody, when every song from that grunge era was like, that was like Black Hole Sun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they all have that like gravelly, gravelly voice. Pearl Jam and Nirvana, (laughs) all of them are like that. So you and I both have XM radio. uh, Uh And. There, do you ever listen to the lithium station? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's all it is. It's yeah. like Nirvana, every other song. Right, I will like, right. Uh, it's... That, that was dead set and was for yeah. you as well. That was that was like pure high school right there. Right. In the middle yeah. of high school was like was yeah. uh, like literally it all started right with Nirvana smells like teen spirit it was <laughs> oh, my lo- freshman oh, year. Such a good album. That was my freshman year of high school and wow. so yes, wow. absolutely. Yeah, the Black good old days old... son. So won't you come? <laughs> <laughs> so the reason that Ryan is singing Black Hole Sun is because uh NASA just released sounds of a black hole. Yes. So apparently this is like I'm going to say all of this wrong. Sorry scientists. Like 250 light years away. Sure. So this sound has now traveled through space and time to get to us. It's a time traveling experience that we're having and you can hear the sounds of the black hole and i i want to play it for you and then we're going to respond to it so here we go So I I felt like this was like an underwater sound, you know, like I was kind of like, OK, yeah, that's sort of what I would expect it to sound like. But then people online were freaking out like they were like, it sounds like the screams of death. And it sounds <laughs> like, you know, the evil's calling to us like people were not excited about this sound. What you were kind of like, eh, it sounds like a highway. It sounds like you're in traffic <laughs> is what it does. Like, you're like, great. Space is just one big traffic jam. But no, it, everything right now that they're doing and find like there were some new pictures that came out. Mm, uh, I love those pictures. Up. Yeah. Everything they're doing with space is simultaneously fascinating and terrifying. And a little bit it, terrifying. Yeah. It reminds us of how small we are. That's it. Now, ultimately, as Christians, it needs to point us to the grandeur of God. But we'd That's be lying right. if you don't look at some of these pictures and be like, gosh, this is just yeah. kind of scary. We've all seen too many sci- sci-fi movies. Right. What if they what if they had run the sound? Let me really terrify you. <laughs> What if they had run the sound? This see, it feels like a Bruce Willis movie or a, or a somebody like a sci-fi yeah. movie. Uh, what if they had run the sound and all this and all you heard was "Help me, help me." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be horrible! And then all of a sudden they're like, "We must go help them," and it just it's like a Marvel oh, movie or something. Oh yeah, that would be that's a horrifying thought. Help I think me. people are freaked out too because there's always been this theory that like there's no sound in space because yeah. there's no objects for sound waves to bounce off of and they're saying there's enough gas i guess emitted from these black holes that they're able to experience sound and so i think that freaked people out too but you're right i mean in one sense it is it is terrifying in a way that i think it kind of ought to be like 
in that it does point us to the largeness of God That's and right. God's creation. And you do, you know, we walk around on earth and we just don't think uh, most of us anyway, don't pause and think like we're floating in this sort of vast universe. Like that's a weird concept. But when you do stop and think about it, you're like, Whoa, this is, yes. there has, I don't know. I, I conclude there has to be a God. Otherwise it just, it's like too, too incredible to think. I don't know. But it does make you think like, wow, okay, the mysteries of God are a lot bigger than I, I right. could ever understand. That's right. So cool. Uh, every now and then that should just blow our minds yeah. and put us in awe of God. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to some problems here on earth because I was reading something from the Wall Street <laughs> Journal, Brian, and this is so fascinating to me. All right. There is a new poll showing that college students are refusing to dorm with those of opposite political beliefs. Mm. So they um, are basically unwilling to live with anybody. This is almost half of second-year college students who support a different presidential candidate than they did in 2020. Then they go on to say a majority say they wouldn't go on a date with someone who voted differently. And nearly two-thirds of them say they couldn't see themselves marrying someone who backed a different political candidate two years ago. These are the findings of a new online NBC News Generation lab poll of the class of 2025. So I I think that's very telling, not totally surprising. But Isn't it? I, can I just jump in there? I think yeah. it is surprising because okay, here's why. why. I know it's been a long time since you and I went to college, and it's been yeah. a long time since you and I went on dates, whatever. Yeah. yeah. When you went to college, did you ever give one second of thought to who did my roommate support in the last election? Not once. Not once. Did you give any thought even to when you and Kevin – like how far down the dating road did you and Kevin get before you ha even had these types of conversations? I mean, I, I, I don't know – I mean, I feel like like a couple years ago, you know yes. what I mean? Like it, we just weren't. And I do think I actually, in fact, I know there were different elections that Kevin and I voted differently in. Yes. But we never, it was never this like make or break to our relationship. And that's and why you, yeah, it's it so is surprising. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. It's a little. I never once went, man, I really enjoy that guy's company. I think we could live well together, but who did he vote for in the 1996 mm. presidential election? <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, what, I don't know. So what does this tell us? I mean, I, I think it, it tells us some very compelling information about the state of the world today and our how divisive we are and how that's reaching into the next generation. Like these are 18, think, 19, 20 year olds. I think it's problematic. I think yeah, I, do too. I, I don't think that this is like a laugh away thing. I think it speaks to the polarization uh, increasingly yeah. of the next generation. I think it speaks to what we as parents have passed on to our children mm. uh, as to what's important and what's not. I think it speaks to all of this stuff yeah. and you're just like we're raising a generation that apparently is going to be more tribal than even we were well i think that's and, what's and that's disturbing problem. to me yeah the tribalism is what's scary to me because then we get in our own little pockets and our own little echo chambers and then there actually isn't a way to experience unity and peace and compromise and nuance and some of these really important skill sets that it about what it means to like be human 
And I think especially for the Christian, like we are called to invite outsiders in. We are called to include everybody. And so I think for Christians, this is especially startling information. Like above all, we can stand firm in our convictions. And yet we have to be people who are showing love, acceptance, welcome, invitation to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's just we're a worse off society mm-hmm. if we can't uh, live with people in college that we disagree with. Like, yeah, I agree. Then go to a college where everybody agrees with you. Right, right. We, we are a worse off society if our kids are making these sort of judgments. I understand when you get to the point of marriage, maybe these are important conversations. Certainly. Sure. I get that. Sure. But but I don't think a Christian should go to a state school and be like, I can only live with a Christian. Right. I don't I, know I, that. I agree with I, you. I, I don't know. But to bring it all the way down to, did you vote for President Trump or Joe Biden is like, it says so I won't much live about with who you. we are. Uh, I know. It's very disturbing to me. I really, I'm worried about what this will look like long term. And I, I pray that like, there'll be some turn in this generally, generationally. Yeah. It's Tuesday evening. Yes, We're so is. glad that you're with us today. Brian's kids are starting school tomorrow. So Jackson is tomorrow. Emily is Thursday. We take Madeline to college Friday. So basically, summer's ending at the Fromm household. It is. Moving into the fall schedule. That's kind of exciting. We've been uh, we've been anticipating you taking your daughter to college for a while. So next Monday's show should be an interesting one. <laughs> it should be something. <laughs> Brian's head is just on the studio table the whole time. <laughs> it should, yes, yes. should be very interesting. And uh, on this Tuesday, my kids are still very firmly in summer. So I still have like a hundred more weeks of summer until my kids go back to school, but that's okay. One of the things that my kids are doing is spending a lot more time than I would wish on screens One of the places they are not on is Facebook. Mm. And I bring that up because New York Times recently shared about four problems that Facebook is currently having. And one of those is the age problem. That is that the next generation of kids just aren't on Facebook. Um, And basically, this uh, article the New York Times is arguing that Facebook is kind of weaker than we used to realize or weaker than we realize. Okay. And so this is interesting to me because I, I hear a lot of people losing interest in Facebook. Um, I'm not sure how that is correlating to like the app success, but Mm. you and I have even talked about, are we getting off social media? Are we staying on social media? Will we stay on one and not another? And I hear a lot of people having that conversation, like Facebook is sort of the first one they're done with. Like they might stay on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok or what have you, but they're sort of over Facebook. So it does, it makes me wonder if Facebook is going to be a thing of the past. I'm very curious about this. Um, so let me share with you, Brian, one of Facebook's four problems, and we'll kind of unpack this and then just talk about social media in general. But, um, the first one is what I talked about, the age problem that if you have children, you've probably noticed they prefer other social media problems to them. Facebook is for older people, which is not a recipe for growth. They're Mm -hmm. saying many teenagers and younger adults use Instagram, which Facebook bought a decade ago, but even Instagram has been struggling to, uh, keep up. They're saying TikTok is absolutely eating Instagram's lunch right now in terms of usage and cultural sway. And advertisers generally want to be where the young people are. And even though Meta has tried to copy TikTok's successful features, Instagram Reels, et cetera, they are just not keeping up. So to me, this is interesting. Do you think 
Do you think Facebook is on the way out because because the next generation isn't engaging with it? I don't think it'll ever go away. Like, I don't yeah. think it's going to be like MySpace or something. But I yeah. do think my kids would never even consider being on Facebook. Like, it's yeah. not ever been a question, but they're on right. Instagram and right. other things. I do like sometimes even I'm 45 years old and sometimes Facebook feels old to me. Totally. Like it's primarily people older than me. Uh, and and we do know this, like it is uh, the it's it's the people what drives social media, especially are younger generations. And so yep. if they've said Facebook's for my parents or it's for my grandparents, that's a really bad recipe. So, I, yep. again, I don't think it's ever going away. Uh, but I, you know, and you hear some of that about Instagram now too, yeah, like there's, you do. they just kind of wear out. And so, yes, I think, I think, I don't think it's an issue of Facebook is, is walking into an age. I think they've had an age problem for a while and it's showing itself. It's, I think yeah. it's going away. It does make me wonder, like you, you brought up MySpace, but it does make me wonder if, if we will find, cause you know, social media in general is still a relatively new experience for all of us and so it does make me wonder if all social media platforms have a lifespan like yeah. if there if one will ever stand the test of time or with each new generation there's going to be new versions of social media like i think social media is here to stay but i think the the different platforms they may all have lifespans which will be really kind of interesting you know, in years to come to see how this changes. The right. second thing that's going on with Facebook is uh, what New York Times is calling the innovation problem. They're saying that the company just doesn't appear to know how to invent successful new stuff. Mm -hmm. They say most of its biggest hits, not just two of its main products, Instagram and WhatsApp, but many of its most used features like Instagram stories were invented elsewhere. They made their way to Facebook through acquisition, but Facebook itself is not innovating. So they say when the company went public in 2012, it's been much less innovative. So certainly that's a sign that, you know, Facebook may be dying if they can't learn to innovate. And the innovation um, one, this might come up later. This might not fall under innovation. My, yeah. Like I've told you, I've kind of removed myself from Facebook mostly. And yeah, I, I think one of my problems with Facebook, one of the big annoyances was always, why am I seeing this stuff? Like what? Yeah, like, yeah. Twitter, Twitter has the same problem, mm -hmm. but it's why am I seeing, you know, what somebody else liked? Like I don't. Yeah, care. I don't care. Or why am I seeing things that you're suggesting? And it feels a lot more ad driven. We understand ads make the money. Yeah, but they clearly Facebook has looked at me as a commodity. They've said, right, right. right you're a 45 year old male. Right. Here's the things from your browsing from your purchases or just from your demographics mm -hmm. we're going to start targeting you with mm -hmm. and you start going like all i wanted to do is see my the vacation photos of my buddy you know who yeah. i haven't seen in a while but you're having yeah. to you're having to like work through so much other stuff like way like, through all of this to even get to your friend dumb. yeah, yeah. i just don't want to bother anymore yeah, I there it, there is something that's like almost making me want to go back to just like, oh, just remember like people's personal websites and you could like go there and find what you want. Right. It's, it is interesting. The third thing they're saying Facebook's problem is the metaverse problem. They say that Zuckerberg feels so strongly that the metaverse based around the world of VR represents the future of the internet that he renamed the company after it. It's been almost a year since Facebook rebranded re itself Meta and announced its big push into the metaverse, but there aren't a lot of 
big, obvious wins to show for right. it. And I think that is interesting because I don't know anybody who's calling it meta. I don't know. It, like everyone still refers to no. it as Facebook, you know? So I don't feel like this brand change really made a difference. Uh, I totally agree with you. Like I even forgot that they did make yeah. it a difference. And so, um, yeah, I don't most of us, let's just be honest, just don't understand the metaverse. And maybe, maybe Mark Zuckerberg, he has been ahead of his time before. Maybe yeah, he's the next ahead generation of his time again. will. That's probably true. That's probably true. But yeah. yeah, it all like I'm like whatever. It's not even like oh, I want to learn more about it. For me, it's more like okay, yeah, we'll see. okay, whatever. Cool. Yep. All right. Here's the last thing: the antitrust problem. Some Meta supporters argue that the company's recent struggles prove that it isn't the omnipotent force that its critics claim and that the federal government should go easy on it. The New York Times is saying, I think that claim misses what's really going on. The company has become less dominant partly because both the Trump and Biden administrations have taken a tougher stance toward mergers. This is a quote. If Mark Zuckerberg could acquire his way out of this problem, as he did by buying Instagram back in 2012, he absolutely would. But regulators, at least under this administration, aren't going to let him. Mm. So th this article ends by saying, depending on your point of view, it's either ironic or fitting. Facebook became so dominant in part by acting in anti-competitive ways for so many years that Meta is losing its dominance as a result. Bottom line, yeah. Facebook remains among the world's most powerful companies with the ability to influence elections, public health, and much more. It also continues to produce huge amounts of revenue, which will allow it many chances to create successful new products. But the struggles are real and they don't show any signs of disappearing. Agreed. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know why I think that's interesting, but because it is so part of our life and our conversation, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how Facebook morphs or dies, basically, and what I, that means for us as users. And I just think it reminds us, especially in the world of the internet, things change so fast. Mm, yeah. Internet, uh, Facebook used to be like ahead of its time. And, this, right. and now you're like, eh, Facebook, yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. I, it's annoying and and our kids aren't on it. And if we're honest, a lot of us, our age, are kind of right. like done with it. Like, whatever. Yeah, like, I kind of just don't... And, you know, it used to be spoken of as like this cultural, like mover and shaker. And now yeah. you're like, eh. And so it reminds us that happens all right. the time. Right. And um, yeah, yeah, these things are fleeting. Except with as... Jesus, who is the same <laughs> nice. yesterday, today, and, and forever. there you go. Preach it right. Yes, you <laughs> landed that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some show on Tuesday evening. At the end of the show, we like to bring you some good news, something to put a smile on your face. The place that we've been going for that is a place called The Week, where they just sort of aggregate the good news for the week, and it makes you feel good. So we like to share these stories with you. Uh, Brian, how about I share the first one, and you can share the next I'm ready. one. All right. Please do. All right. Here's the first good news story of the week. A thrilled mom honors her daughter with a billboard to mark her graduation. Now, this is how you celebrate a graduation. Oh, this is from your neck of the woods, Brian. Kendra Busby rented a digital billboard in Camden, New Jersey, to let the city know how delighted she was that her daughter, Dr. Christine Smalls, had earned her Doctor of Psychology degree in July from Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I am the proudest mom knowing that I have the most awesome daughter, Busby told Good Morning America. I can't even explain the feeling I have right now. She has done everything that a mother could wish their child could do. 
Busby got the idea to rent a billboard after Smalls mentioned in passing that a friend's mom had done something similar. Busby drew her vision in a notebook. And then on the day the billboard went live, invited friends and friends and family to meet in the parking lot to see it. When Smalls saw her photo alongside the words, let me reintroduce myself, Dr. Christine S. Smalls, Dr. Smiles, look what good came out of Camden. She just stood there in shock. Busby Mm. said, this proud mom might want to take out another billboard celebrating Smalls' career move. This fall, she starts a postdoctorate program at a mental health practice in Pennsylvania. That's awesome. Congratulations Uh, to mom and daughter. I will give you one small bit of clarification I'd like you to learn. I'm from New Jersey. Yes. But New Jersey, much of New Jersey, there's North Jersey and South Jersey. Ah, okay. okay. And, you know, there is a Central Jersey, but New Jersey is pretty small, but very densely populated. Mm-hmm. South Jersey is essentially one large suburb of Philadelphia. Ah, okay. North Jersey is one large suburb of New York City. So think okay. of New Jersey that way. Obviously, you've got the beach area and you've got other, but. You could think of it in those terms. Camden, very much South Jersey, Philadelphia. I grew up very much North Jersey, New York ah, City. Ah, so so you're saying not your neck of the woods? Because this there's is a, a little lot- bit of a there's a little bit yes in terms of like we live in Illinois now, so yeah. anything in New Jersey is my neck of the woods. Yeah, but nobody where I grew up would be like, oh, Camden ah, is kind of okay. Okay. Also, there's an arrogance to North Jersey towards South Jersey. I can we'll tell you felt like day. you felt the need to like differentiate yourself there. And so I felt like there was something going on there. Yeah. To be honest, you've told me more about New Jersey than I ever cared about in my whole life. And I don't You're ever welcome. want to hear that information you are again. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love this next story. I love message in a bottle oh, stories. I love message in the bottle stories too. So this one is message in a bottle launched 33 years ago connects family with late son. Oh, wow. Get your tears ready. Uh Billy Mitchell is a salvage diver. And while on the water, he keeps an eye out for interesting artifacts. Recently, a green bottle caught his attention. And when he pulled it from the Yazoo River, Mitchell found it contained a message. Mitchell and his boss got the tattered paper out of the bottle and began reconstructing the message written in child scrawl. (sighs) They figured out a few words, including 1989, Dahl, as in D-A-H-L, Oxford, Mississippi, please and thank you. Hmm. Mitchell and Bab, his boss, made it their mission to find the writer and got a lead when they posted a photo on Facebook. By connecting with Eric Dahl, they learned that the message had been written by his son, Brian, when he was a sixth grader in Oxford, Mississippi. Brian, a cancer survivor... (gasps) died in an accident at his home when he was 29. No. His sixth grade teacher told USA Today that Brian and his classmates dropped their bottles in the river during a field trip. Brian's traveled 200 miles to Vicksburg, which stunned Mm. the teacher. Who would have ever imagined? I think it brings him back to life in a way. Eric, his wife, Melanie, and son, Chris, went to Vicksburg to meet Mitchell and Bab, and he said it feels like they are all now family. Wow. Brian, quote, was victorious in his life because of his relationships. He established the bonds with other people, and he continues to inspire today. Okay, okay now. I okay cannot now. handle that okay story. Now. Whoa. Man, think about this if as a parent. Like this is like, oh wow. Okay. Wow. That was a good one. Definitely a tearjerker. All right, here's the next one. Airline employees surprise 104-year-old customer with a birthday party at her house. 
She had to cancel her birthday trip to Las Vegas, but that didn't mean Jane Smith had to miss out on a party. Smith turned 104 in March, and to mark the occasion, she had planned to fly from San Francisco to Las Vegas to celebrate. She ended up getting sick just two days before her flight and had to stay home. Four years earlier, Smith celebrated her 100th birthday in Vegas, and on the way there, befriended two Southwest Airlines employees, Brian DePalto and Nisha Chin. It was a great trip with agents singing Isn't She Lovely to Smith at the Gate and the entire plane singing Happy Birthday mid-flight. Unable to fly in 2020 and 2021 because of the pandemic, Smith was looking forward to seeing Del Porto and Shin, who have kept in touch with Smith and her family, and was sad to cancel her trip. Her spirits lifted, however, when her old pals arrived at her home, surprising Smith with a cake, an orchid, and some Southwest swag. That's outstanding. Next one. Georgia high school football players rescue a woman trapped in a car. Six members of a Georgia high school football team are being hailed as heroes after they quickly came to the rescue of a woman involved in a car accident by their campus. Last Friday, these six players were on their way to Rome High School when they saw the crash. Smoke and fluids were coming out of one of the vehicles and that, quote, we weren't worried about ourselves. We were worried about the lady, Mm. one of the players told the TV station. Math teacher Louis Goya wrote on Facebook that the car door was jammed and in terrible shape, and the teens literally started using their strength to pry the door open so the lady could be released. Wow. The woman sustained cuts and bruises and was taken to a local hospital. John Reed, the Rome High School football coach, told WFLD he's amazed by the selfless act committed by his players. Are they heroes, he said? I bet they are to the woman and her family. We're just really proud of them. Wow, that's amazing. Cool. I hope they also called 911. I was just thinking, like, I'm hopefully sure they, they did. didn't sure just take did. that on themselves. Okay, here's another uh, crazy story. Are you ready for this, Brian? Yes. This 99-year-old Pennsylvania woman just welcomed her 100th great-grandchild. Whoa. Okay, As an only child, Peggy Kohler always wanted to have a large family, and the 99-year-old from Bluebell, Pennsylvania, got her wish. Peggy recently met her 100th great-grandchild, a boy named in her honor, Kohler William Balster. When she learned that the baby had her name, she was absolutely ecstatic. Just days before welcoming her namesake, another baby joined the family. Peggy's granddaughter, Colleen, gave birth to her 101st great-grandchild. Mm. Peggy has 11 children and 56 grandchildren and told WPVI that she applied to become a nun while in high school, but her future <laughs> husband, <laughs> William, talked her out of it. I wanted to have a big family, she said. I think it's difficult being an only child. It's lonely. The Kohler family has several teachers, real estate developers, lawyers, a, mar- a mortician, and Peggy joked that she wanted a doctor but never got one. Okay, That's awesome. 11 children and 56 grandchildren and yeah. 100 great great. You don't even know their names at that point. You're like, yes. maybe they're mine or not. Like you're not buying Christmas presents for those great grandkids. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. That's wow. crazy. Wow. They have a lot of a lot. old people stories today. Yeah. And those old people having a lot of kids, apparently. There you go. Who are doing wonderful things in the world. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here. We hope some of those stories put a smile on your face. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.